We pray, Father, that if there's anyone here that maybe is not sure of their salvation, and maybe Satan has planted a seed in their thoughts that maybe I'm not saved, we pray, Father, that you would do a mighty work, that you would reign in their life, that you would um, help them, Lord, to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. And Father, we just bless your holy name today, and and, uh, we just pray that you will um, walk with us today closely, help us cling unto you, and uh, may we uh, depend upon you in all of our uh, conversation of life. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now take the hymns of grace, turning to 265, hymn 265 in the hymns of grace, a hymn that speaks of the Lamb of God, that one who takes away the sins of the world, 265.
turn, if you would, in God's Word to John chapter 4 and beginning at verse 39 through the end of the chapter. And uh, the thing that stood out to me in this verse was verse or in this chapter was verse 48. So Jesus said to him, "Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe." And that was true from the beginning, going back to Adam and Eve. And through all the miracles that God performed, all of the situations that they found themselves in, that God was faithful. God makes promises and he keeps them. And so it's amazing to us, and, and yet if you think about us, in this generation, we too sometimes forget all that has God has done for us. We forget those times when he put, when he helped us out in situations we thought was was uh, undoable, was impossible. So let's uh, read verse 39 here, and here we find that he's still in the city of Sychar, in Samaria. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all things that I have done. This is the woman at the well. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. And after the two days, he went forth from there into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they themselves also went to the feasts. Therefore he came again to Cana, in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go. Your son lives. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. And as he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. 
Then they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. And so the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. This is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. As we seek our God again in prayer, we especially want to remember the Yulebergs who labored there in Bolivia. It was very encouraging this last Wednesday evening as we watched a video that they had sent to us with regard to a camp ministry that they're engaged in and to see how the dormitories are going up and other things and and to hear of their vision for that piece of property. And so we rejoice with them and give thanks that we can be in partnership with them in the spread of the gospel in other places such as Bolivia. So let us seek our God in prayer this morning. Father in heaven, our hearts are filled with gratitude this morning as we think of your Son, who is the Savior of the world. He alone is the way and the truth and the life. No man can come to the Father. No man can be forgiven. No man can be reconciled with you except through your Son. And therefore, Father, we proclaim Jesus Christ as that one who died, was buried, and rose again, that we might have life and have it abundantly. And how we give you thanks for your willingness to pour out your wrath upon your Son, that we might be declared justified because of faith. And so, Father, we pray this morning as your word goes forth, whether it's here or in other places, that it will be a day in which you are pleased by the work of your spirit to add to the kingdom of God by bringing others to faith and repentance. We pray that you would do that work. No man who stands behind the pulpit has that ability in and of himself. It is only as we plant and water the seed that that you give the increase. And how we pray that there would be a great increase as your word goes forth this day. Father, we we pray for the Yulebergs. We pray for Jeremy there in Bolivia. Thank you for their service and their self-denying action where they would leave family and friends in order to labor for the advancement of the gospel in other places. We thank you for their vision. We thank you for what you've been pleased to do over the last several months with the property that they have. And pray that, Father, as that camp is established, that it will be a place where the gospel will go forth and lives will be changed. Pray that it's a place where churches will be able to benefit from that time away at the camp. And Father, we pray that you'll continue to guide and direct them into future endeavors for the spread of the gospel. And 
there in that place. Father, we would be mindful of our own folk. Many are away and pray that you would watch over them. We pray that wherever they gather with your people this morning that you will minister unto them. Father, we would ask that you would bring them back safely to us. Father, we pray that you'll continue to give us direction and guidance even as a church with regard to our building situation and what you would have and how we could best be wise stewards with what you've given to us. Father, we want to be where you would have us be for the spread of the gospel and the advancement of your kingdom. So, Father, we pray that you would grant wisdom and clarity and direction with regard to that in days to come. Father, we pray even for the situation with Micah. We pray that you would provide him with an income where he's able to take care of his family and and yet still be able to be with us Lord's Day after Lord's Day. Well, Father, these are many concerns. There's many other concerns that we have. And, and we just pray, Father, that you would be pleased in your great wisdom to answer our prayers in a way that most glorifies yourself and in a way that brings honor to your name and in a way that sees the gospel go forward. Father, we, we thank you for bringing us together, meet with us, as your word is open, may the Spirit of God come and use your word to do us good. Help us, Father, to be ready to apply your word to our lives as we go throughout each week. May you receive the glory and the honor as we ask all these things. In that name, which is above every name, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, before we come to open the Word of God, take your Trinity hymn books once again, turning to 706, 706. Take time to be holy, speak off with thy Lord. 706. Let's stand together as we sing.
Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. God willing, we'll finish chapter 32 this morning and then just a couple more chapters to go in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 32. Let me just read in your hearing one verse, verse 44. Then Moses came and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people, he with Joshua, the son of Nun. We read here in this opening verse of the passage that we are looking at this morning, and we hear that Moses has come and he spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of all the people. He's there with Joshua, and he's taught them this song, which they would sing over and over again. They would sing it when they assembled together. They would sing it in their homes. Moses gave them this song, I believe, because God gave it to him, but it was also a way in which the people of God could learn biblical truths that would help them as they march into this promised land. And in this Song of Moses, you might recall that it spoke about the caring, loving Father who has brought them through the wilderness and is about ready to lead them into the promised land. In the song, they are brought to the realization of their own proneness to wonder, their own proneness to follow after false gods and forsake the true and the living God. In this song, they were warned about the sad consequences that such actions would have. It would bring the judgment of God upon them. The song does end with a note of hope that God will provide a covering, an atonement for sin, but also a note of warning with regard to opposition and the severity of God's wrath which will fall upon all those who oppose the true and the living God. These are some of the truths that are expressed in this song that no doubt Moses wants them to remember for a very long time. Remember, Moses has been with the children of Israel for quite a long time. And there's no doubt that Moses loves these people, but he's concerned for their well-being. Moses is very much aware of past history and acts of idolatry, murmuring, and disobedience. Moses is also very much aware that he's soon going to leave them. And Joshua 
Joshua will take over the, the human leadership of the sons of Israel. But, but knowing he's going to leave them, he's concerned. And so in the passage that we're looking at this morning, Moses, I believe, gives a glimpse to the sons of Israel something of his own heart. You will find as we read through this passage that, that Moses becomes very transparent. Moses is known as one of the most humblest men in all the world. And when speaking to the sons of Israel, you will find him bearing his heart and even exposing his own sin. But he does so for their good, as I trust we will see. So as we come to this passage, we will note two things. First of all, we will note the passionate plea. And then secondly, we will note the sobering weight. What I've called the sobering weight. The, these two things come to us in this passage. So first of all, starting in verse 45... We have this passionate plea of Moses. Follow as I read. Verse 45. When Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to your heart all the words which I am warning you today, which you shall command your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law. For it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. And by this word you will prolong your days in the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. Moses finishes the song. And now he speaks to the sons of Israel and, and he appeals to them to really listen, I believe, not, not only to the song, but everything else that he has said. Remember, the book of Deuteronomy is Moses' final message to the sons of Israel. And, and in the opening chapters of this book. He's, he's rehearsed something of the history, but then after reviewing the history, he then begins to instruct them. In fact, he gives them a reminder of the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments, and then he opens them up in detail. He has been instructing them. He has been encouraging them with regard to the blessings of obedience, but he also warns them with regard to the curse that will come if they do not obey. And so here again, before he announces his blessings, he comes with this appeal. 
an exhortation to listen, give attention to what has been said. The same message is given by the writer of Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12, remember the writer of Hebrews says there, Take care, brethren, that there be in none of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. That, that was Moses' concern. Knowing what we know, even going through the book of Judges, it, it's sort of sad to know that before they went into the promised land, Moses pleads with them not to fall away from the living God. So notice a couple of things with regard to this plea. First of all, notice the heart of the plea. The heart of this appeal was that, and, and just think about it for a minute. The heart of this appeal was this. Give attention to what you have heard. Give attention to what you have heard. Now why, why do I ask you to think about that for a minute? I do so because hopefully, maybe not, I hope, that you might say to yourself, how many times does Moses have to give this admonition? Is Moses a one-hit wonder? Throughout our study of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses has time and time again used language such as this. Listen! Remember back, it's been a year or two ago, but in chapter 4 and verse 1, Moses says, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform. And I do recollect that back then when we looked at this one verse, I, I told you that this word listen isn't just may sounds vibrating in your ears. But what he's saying is, give diligent attention to what I'm telling you. I think I might have on that occasion used the illustration of those times that we as husbands, or maybe I should say me, I don't want to categorize all of you in the same position. When your wife may be speaking to you, when you're watching your favorite sports on TV, and you hear her voice in your ear, but your attention is on the television, and finally she says, are you listening to me? And you look and you say, of course I'm listening to you. Which means, I hear the vibrating of your voice in my ear, but what did I say? What did I say? 
I remember some time ago there there was a person among us and, and afterwards he came up and he said, oh, thank you so much, Pastor. That, that was a good word. And I said, what did I say? And they sort of looked at me like, you're not supposed to ask that question. I'm trying to give you a compliment. Moses isn't saying, have you heard my voice? Doesn't it sound nice? No. He's saying, listen, give attention. He says it, I, I just, a couple times, chapter 6 and verse 3. Oh Israel, you shall listen and be careful to do it. Chapter 13 and verse 4. Listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. Moses is, is saying what he said many times. Give attention to what God says. Now notice, notice the direction that he gives them here. Take it to heart. That word, for some of your translations, may fix your heart. Be established is the idea Then they were to observe. Take to your heart all the words which I am, which I am warning you today, which you shall command your sons to observe carefully. It's interesting that that word "observe" carries the thought of something you treasure, something that is precious that you don't want to lose sight of. Sometimes we, we may get some information and we think to ourselves, I don't need that. Too much information, I don't need to know that. But, but other times we're, we're giving information which we realize is of great value. We ought to treasure it. We want to be established in it. And Moses says that's what we need to do. We, we, we need to be fixed upon the instructions God's given to us. We need to treasure those instructions. Not only us, but future generations. Notice what he says. Give it to your sons as well. We, we have a responsibility to teach our children. God forbid that any of us think it's the church's responsibility to teach our children. Yeah, we want our children here. They need to sit under the ministry. But parents, you, you need to be instructing your children. Now notice also, all, verse 46, even all the words of this law. This is not a pick and choose. I like this. Ah, this isn't so great. I, I want to apply this. This I don't want to apply. You know? My, my, my family, as most of you know, most of them live in Indiana. And in the last couple times that we've gotten together, my cousins and my siblings and my aunts and uncles, we go to this wonderful place. You ever in Martinsville, Indiana? It's called Gray Brothers. It's a cafeteria. And, and there's not many of them left anymore. But you pick a tray, yeah, and you're walking down the line, and you have all these salads. 
And so you have a broccoli salad and you have a tossed salad. And you know what? I get to choose which one I want. Well, some of you say, oh, we know which one you want. Okay. But I do. I get to choose which one I want. And then you move down the line a little bit and you have the main course. And there's roast beef. Maybe I shouldn't speak about this yet unless somebody's hungry. There's roast beef and there's fried chickens and there's beef and noodles and there's fish. And I get to choose. I don't have to. It's not, I'm not taking it all. I'm just giving me that. And then you go down a little farther and there's all these entrees. Mashed potatoes, green beans, corn, macaroni and cheese. And then dessert, cherry pie, chocolate cream pie, pumpkin pie, every homemade pie you can imagine. Take that one. Don't want that one. I want that one. Shall I finish it off? Then there's drinks. Why am I mentioning that? This book is not a cafeteria. We don't pick and choose. It's the Word of God. And all Scripture is inspired by God and all Scripture is profitable. And, th and that's what Moses is saying to the people. Be established in God's Word. Treasure God's Word. Hide it, as the psalmist says, in your heart that, that you might not sin against God. We need to be obedient to all the Word of God. Our Lord says, Don't call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say. Remember the foolish and the wise men? The wise man hears the Word of God and acts on it. So yeah, Moses keeps sounding this note, but it's because he loved the people and he wanted to see them obeying God's word. But notice the reason. The reason that we have this set before us, Moses goes on to say, for it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. It's what your life ought to be built upon. These are not secondary matters. These, these are not take-it-or-leave-it issues. It's a description of the believer's life. I want to be obedient to God in, in every area of my life. The, the Word of God is not given to us simply to provide us interesting facts about God and man's behavior. The Word of God is pointing us to a, a genuine relationship to God. 
The the word of God is is that lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It it directs me on, on how I ought to live. When I, when I was growing up, we, we seem to have categories of Christianity. It's unbiblical, but we still have it. And, and we have talked about some who really sold out for Christ. What did that mean? Well, that means these are people, I mean, literally, we, we thought this way, these are people who, who really believe the word of God and live by that word. And I say... That's every believer. Every true believer. This is our life. Moses is trying to get that message across. Remember back in chapter 30 and verse 19, he exhorts them, choose life. This is real life. This will bring a a, a genuine, sincere, wonderful, intimate relationship with Yahweh our God. God takes no delight in your sacrifices. God takes delight in your obedience. Remember he told Saul that reality? takes delight in your obedience as his children. And and we ought to demonstrate to the world, we ought to demonstrate to our family, we ought to demonstrate to our children that this here is my manual for life. This dictates how we live as a family. This dictates how I live as an employer or an employee. This book dictates what I am as a husband, what what I am as a wife, what I am as a child. This is life for me. And how I ought to live. And so that's Moses' passionate to the children of Israel. But now then secondly, notice with me the sobering weight. The sobering weight. That's W-E-I-G-H-T. Moses now comes and brings a word of personal experience. I mean, it's almost like Moses has exhorted them and now he says to them, listen, Here's why I'm passionate about what I'm saying. Follow as I read, starting in verse 48. And then the Lord spoke to Moses that very same day, saying, Go up to this mountain of of the Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and look at the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the sons of Israel for possession, then die on the mountain where where you ascended and be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother died on Mount Hor. 
and was gathered to his people. Because you broke faith with me in the midst of the sons of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the sons of Israel, for you shall see the land at a distance, but you shall not go there into the land which I am giving to the sons of Israel. We are told that when Moses had finished speaking to the people, the Lord spoke to Moses, Yahweh spoke to Moses. And he gives them, first of all, directions are given. Moses is told to go up to Mount Nebo and look at the land of Canaan. Forty years they walked, marched to the wilderness. Forty years they dreamed of that day when they were going to walk into that promised land. Forty years was about ready to become an option. They were about ready to walk. It's just across the river. We are so close. And God tells Moses, go up to Mount Nebo. And there I want you to see the land of Canaan. Then what? Isn't it startling? Go up, see the land from a distance, and walk. Die. You're not going to go with them. Didn't Moses want to go in? Didn't he want to see that land? You go back to chapter 3 of Deuteronomy. Chapter 3 and verse 23, we read these words. This is Moses. I also pleaded with the Lord that at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works as mighty acts as yours? Let me, I pray, cross over and see the fair land that is beyond the Jordan, the, that good hill country and Lebanon. Moses pleads with God, let me go in. He, he pleads fervently. He pleads reverently. He pre pleads humbly. I believe Moses, even though he's been told he's not going to go in, I believe he, he even pleaded expectantly. God had on occasion repented or sort of changed from what it looked like was going to happen. And perhaps Moses was holding out some hope that maybe, maybe God would allow him to go into the land. But he dies. And we're told why he dies. 
Because you broke faith in me in the midst of the sons of Israel at the water of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the sons of Israel. This event is referred to, or this event that's referred to here is given to us. Look over at Numbers chapter 20. Numbers 20. We read about this account starting at verse 7. We read these words. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation, and speak to the rock before the eyes, before their eyes, that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock, and let the congregation and the beast drink. Now, is that pretty clear? What is God telling you to do? God simply says, speak to the rock. That's the clear will of God for Moses to obey. And it seems like not an impossible task. But we read verse 9, So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he had commanded him. So far, so good. Take the rod. God said, take the rod. He takes the rod. Good for him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rod. He's still doing well. He's got the rod. He's assembling the people. And he said to them, Listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if it says, And Moses spoke to the rock, and water came forth. We'd be cheering. Yes. But what happens? Then Moses lifted up his hand, and struck the rock, struck the rock twice with the rod, and the water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beast drank. He struck the rock. He didn't speak to them. Yes, God gave them water. But Moses' behavior is described for us as a man who has not acted wholly towards God. He, he broke faith. He, he didn't believe God. He, he did not take God at his word. And he treated God unholy. And because instead of speaking, he struck the rock, Moses is not allowed into the promised land. And with some of us, in all honesty, we're almost like, wow, isn't that a bit much? Really? I mean, people have done worse. And they don't seem to get the severe punishment that Moses does. 
But if nothing else, this is a reminder that even those so-called insignificant, or as Jerry Bridges calls them, respectable sins have consequences. If somebody else had struck the rock instead of spoken to the rock, would the same consequences fallen upon them? I don't know. But this was the consequence of Moses' disobedience. And now do you understand something of why I entitled this the sober weight? Because what Moses is saying is, I I want you to obey all the Word of God. And if you think there is some part of that Word that is insignificant, it really doesn't matter, let my life be an example. I'm not going into that promised land only because I became so frustrated with you rebels and you murmurs and you complainers. Who could blame me after putting up with you for so long? I finally just struck the rock. And now this foot is not going to step into that land. God was gracious in allowing me to see the land But I'm not going in. The consequences of that small act cost him dearly. And Moses feels that keenly. And he wants to warn the sons of Israel. Obey all the Word of God. Now, now it's, Moses could have said, Obey all the Word of God, because look at your past history. Look at what happened in the past. I mean, you get up to the river one time, and, and you don't trust God to cross over the river. What happens? You're in the wilderness 40 years. Man, obey the Word of God. Do you remember that occasion when people were murmuring and complaining and the earth opened up and swallowed them? Obey the Word of God. But Moses takes his own life as an example. And he's saying to them, I... I'm speaking to you from the heart. Man, I don't want you to go through what I'm going through. Obey the Word of God. This comes from a man who knows because he did not. And he was going to die and not cross over the Jordan. And sometimes we do the same thing. God's Word says, be angry and sin not. And we say, well, let's change that. God's Word says, 
You shall have no other gods before me. I need to be the priority of your life. And we say, well, let's, let's change that. The Word of God says, be sincere. Be, be genuine in your walk with God. Do not take His name in vain. And we say, well, let's change that. The Word of God says, honor your father and your mother. And we say, let's change that. The Word of God says, love your enemies. And we say, let's change that. The Word of God says, wives, be in subjections to your husband as it is fitting in the Lord. And, and we say, well, let's change that. The Word of God says, love your wives and be not embittered against them. And we say, let's change that. The Word of God says, do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together. And we say, let's change that. The Word of God says, be content. Do not covet. Well, let's change that. And such behavior is rebellion against the true and the living God. And God forbid that any one of us sit here and say, well, you know what, Pastor? You didn't name my sin. <laughs> you named a lot of sins, but you didn't get to mine. You know. Is there any area in my life that I'm not living by the standard of the Word of God? And you're not because either one, number one, you think you have an excuse. Or number two, you may think it's a small thing. It's just a little thing. This is, when I was reading through this, I, I was thinking, meant Moses, Moses, had a pastor's heart. He wanted to see his people living as they ought, according to the dictates of God. Was Moses a forgiven man? Yes. Yes, he was. Notice verse chapter 33. Notice what it says right away. Now, this is the blessing which Moses the man of God blessed and the sons of Israel before his death. How's Moses described? He's the man of God. Oh, he knew forgiveness. We, we, can, we know forgiveness. When, when Moses says there in Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. Was that just religious talk? Or did Moses believe that? Moses believed that. And it's a reminder to us that sometimes we can know forgiveness. And, and sometimes we, we can say that our God is a righteous God and a, and a gracious God and still have to endure the consequences of past sins. They are not necessarily removed when sins are forgiven. 
I know a man. Years ago, a preacher, a good preacher, about my age, and, and I remember hearing him preach and saying, I, I wish I could preach like that guy. He ends up unfaithful to his wife, ends up in scandal. Church has to excommunicate him. And off to the wilderness he went. This week, I had a phone call. And on that phone call, it says, You remember Brother So and remember so and so? And I, Yeah, yeah. How sad. And he said, Well, you know what? The church is reinstating him. He has acknowledged his sin. He's seeking to live for Christ. He's, he's doing very well. And that's wonderful. I don't know that he'll ever preach again, though. His, his, he remarried. So his wife and children still live without him. There are some consequences that can't be changed because a man knows forgiveness. I say all that to say, people, take heed. Be warned. Moses doesn't go into the promised land because of his actions previously. And maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, what kind of God is this? It's a God who takes your sin seriously. It's a God who, because of your sin, has separated Himself from you. And you may say, well, my sins aren't as bad as others. Yes, I know, but the truth of the matter is the wages of sin. It doesn't say the wages of really bad sins is death. It says the wages of sin is death. Separation from God. God takes sin seriously. In fact, He takes it so seriously that he thinks there's only one way in which man can be reconciled to me. And he says, here's my son that I love dearly. I mean, I think I love my sons. I don't know that my love even compares to the love that the father has for his son. And he says, I'm willing to give his life. And I'm willing to pour out all my wrath upon Him so that anyone who believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's how serious God takes your sin. But He's provided a way in which there can be 
reconciliation. You can be justified. And so I tell you, what kind of God is this? You don't want to deal with the severity of His wrath, my friend. He is of God of wrath, of righteous anger against sin. That's the God of the Bible. But He's also a gracious and merciful God, which is demonstrated in Him providing a way of forgiveness. That's this God. And it is my prayer this morning that if you're here without Him, that even today, you would have dealings with Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word and the direction that Your Word gives to us. And as we have already prayed, so we pray once again, Father, we pray that we would be doers of Your Word. That having heard Your Word, we would take action. And that by Your grace and Your mercy, we would be people that live by the Word of God. That Your Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path and guides and directs us every day. So Father, come and by Your Spirit have dealings with us and, and may we have dealings with You. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, take your hymns of grace and turn to 420. Hymn 420 in the hymns of grace. A charge to thee I have, a God to glorify, who gave His Son my soul to save and fit me for the sky. 420.
145. You are dismissed.